If you're on a GLP-1, you're probably loving the results. But how do you feel? All of those side effects can take a toll. So now what? Get to GNC. We'll help with solutions to address those side effects and keep you going on your journey. GNC. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. We have a jam-packed show for you today, including Donald Trump's surprising response this morning to Nikki Haley's mental competency challenge. And I have a little advice, too, for CNN, ahead of sending Don Lemon in for formal training on how not to be a misogynist. Literally, that's happening. <laughs> Joining me now, Glenn Beck. He's the host of the Glenn that's Beck. So crazy. On He's, the that's so crazy. That's so crazy. Don Lemon, just fire the guy. For the love of Pete, fire the guy. Honestly, oh, yeah, grow yeah. a pair. Uh, be honest yeah. about this. It's, you know, here's what I love about it, Glenn. They had pictures in um, the New York Post of, of Don Lemon in Miami and South Beach frolicking in the ocean yeah. over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And the Daily Mail was writing right. about, and the New York Post too, about how he he just looked totally relaxed and happy. And I was like, that is the face of a black gay male who is uncancelable at CNN. Glenn Beck, yep. you would not be looking that way if you oh had said gosh. anything close no to as misogynistic as what he said. But he's Megan, protected. If either one of us, when we were at Fox, if we would have said, well, let's be honest, Hillary's past her prime, do you think the world wouldn't have caved in on top of us? Right. No, it's it's different. And, and the, that's the third thing. Black, gay, liberal man yeah. uh, who mm-hmm. gets the protections that the rest of America doesn't get. So that's why he looks right. relaxed. It's why he will not be fired. Um, and it's why uh, he's been out over his skis when it comes to women and other issues for a long, long time. It's why he got away with helping Jussie Smollett when he was facing criminal charges. Like yep. he gets away with stuff you would never get away with, Glenn Beck. Never. No, and I, and I shouldn't get away with it. None of us should get away with it. This is why I think the left is easy to beat if you just call them on it. If you don't flinch and you call them on it because they've, they don't, they cannot back anything up. They are weak. They haven't been pushed so they can refine their argument. Even it just goes into, oh, you're a fascist. That's, <laughs> that's why, that's why they, they have never been pushed. Anyone who is a conservative has been pushed up against the wall over and over and over again. You have to check yourself. You have to see, am I those things? Is this right? Why do I believe those things? They, they don't have to. No, they don't. And now, like the farce of CNN, I'm pulling up my tweets, um, sending him for re-education camp, which is so absurd. Like, that's going to work. I mean, we I guess we just have to pretend that he's going to learn 
how not to be a sexist at this camp. I don't know what the camp looks like. Did they put Chris Cuomo through the camp? Did they put Jeff Zucker through the camp? Because their camp sucks. (laughs) They need to revise their camp. They need less horseback riding, more time with actual women who are strong and know how to stand up for themselves. All right, here's my my suggestion, Glenn. Who's building camps? I've got my, I've got, I've got, I've got my own plan for Don Lemon. Okay. Day one, this is my, my tweet. Day one of Don Lemon's formal training on how not to be a misogynist. Let's help. We got you, Don. Number one, women are not damaged goods when they hit 40. That, that could take a whole day, Glenn. I don't know. That could take a while for for them to (laughs) let that sink in. Number two, number two, rape victims don't need your lecture on how to respond to their rape. That was his infamous comment to a Bill Cosby rape victim Mm -hmm. telling her how she could have gotten out of it in his in his view. Number three, women forgetting a fact do not have mommy brain. They're human. Tell it to Essie Cup, who he offended by accusing her of mommy brain when she forgot her train of thought. Four, screaming at your female co-anchor because she interrupted you to the point where she runs away is considered rude and unprofessional. (laughs) (laughs) Number five. Sure, we could start there. (laughs) Number five, postponing an ad break to mansplain to said co-anchor in front of the audience, how to properly conduct an interview is an act of, and this is a technical term, douchebaggery. <laughs> number, number, number six, I'm almost done. Defending sexism with some of my best friends are women. <laughs> it would not excuse racism. Uh, some of my best friends are black and it does not excuse sexism. Number seven, I am going to continue to be me which is what he told the CNN newsroom when he was forced to call in and apologize on Friday, is not an acceptable plan when me is a guy who clearly loathes women. No, me needs to change. Me needs to go away and come back in a different form. And last but not least, number eight, when under fire for misogyny, try to at least look and act sorry. Perhaps the orchestrated frolicking in the ocean <laughs> pick with the shirt off could be postponed until the controversy is a little bit more in the rear view. There you go, Glenn oh, Beck, free of charge. There's my I, own re-education camp. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> is, it, is, is it crazy that for the last few weeks we have been talking about Don Lemon, we have been talking about balloons, the possibility that those balloons may have been piloted by small little aliens who buy their balloons at Hobby Lobby. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I I can't believe the nonsense that is being jammed in front of the American people every single day. When like it's like, are we going to war? Because well, it that's the thing. Sounds like it. So that's I've been listening to your show too, and. It's like it took Joe Biden going over to Ukraine to snap a lot of people out of like, wait, what's he doing there? Why are we we're we're going next level? We're doing another half a billion dollars as the American uh, uh, public support for this war and for our involvement in it is is falling precipitously, according to that latest um, poll. I, I mean, first of all, you should be in Ohio, not Kiev. Yeah. Second of all, you should be worried about our Social Security and our pension funds, not the Ukrainian pension funds. We're literally paying their pensions now. You pointed this out yesterday on your show. He kind of slipped that in there. We're going to pay for their pensions, but apparently not ours. Yeah. Um, And then on top of it, yesterday, the press was saying it is so brave of him. So brave of him. No president (laughs) has ever spoken on sight of someone else's war. 
Yeah, maybe because it's starting to appear that it's not someone else's war. It's kind of like becoming our war. Mm. I mean, well, the other thing is, Glenn, you and I know, we both know he called the Russians first and said, I'm going to be there. And according to his White House team, it was for deconfliction purposes. Deconfliction. That's what they said. Right. In other words, don't shoot me while I'm in Ukraine. So could you just spare me and how brave it's like? There was never any chance of President Biden getting bombed by the Russians while he was in Ukraine. It was the safest place on Earth, most <laughs> likely. And I love the fact that CNN reported as part of that bravery. I have I've been here for two weeks and I haven't heard the air raid siren go off until President Biden landed. Well, I mean, a couple of things. That's probably good advice. <laughs> President Biden's coming. You might want to hide. Um, but the other is. Who did that? That wasn't the Russians putting the air raid siren. Those were the Ukrainians. There weren't any bombs. There weren't any planes. Russia wasn't threatening. So it was the Ukrainians going, hey, we should hunker down. Here comes the president. That That's not a sign of bravery. Not a no, sign. We of had bravery. already pre-gamed it to make sure that he wasn't in any Uh, danger, as we should. But then don't try to turn around and tell us how, oh, he was so brave. It's amazing how well he handled. Even the Russian journalists are out there saying, that was a fake news air siren. And you know what, Glenn? I think they were right. I think the Russian journalists got this one more right than the Americans did. Did you see the uh, Putin speech today? Yeah. Putin, you did not? Yeah, no, I, did. Did. I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. So he he ripped up the treaty, our START treaty. So there's yeah. no nuclear treaty for the first time in decades. Uh, that's good. He then went on and said uh, how we are trying to overthrow Russia. That we started this, um, and uh, they've tried to do everything peaceful, but because they want to overthrow us, we can't stop fighting. He won't take nukes off the table. I I don't think there is a chance. He may use tactical nukes, but I think that would be a huge mistake. But I think he's going to do what he said he did. If we are indeed engaging in a war, he'll attack our infrastructure. Ones and zeros, he said, is how uh, World War III will be fought. And we're not ready to fight that way. Um, But he is very, very serious. And if you look at the way the Western press talked about him, they talk about Biden being so stately and, and so brave and Putin as completely unhinged. He's I don't think he's an unhinged. He's evil. He's a bad guy. He's a ruthless, bloodthirsty killer, but he's not unhinged. And uh, Biden, however, is kind of unhinged. The stuff we're doing and the stuff we're talking about has never worked. We are at our lowest level of clout because of him. And we are we're doing things that, quite honestly, I don't think makes any sense whatsoever unless you're trying to A, start a war or B, completely dismantle the United States of America. Mm. The uh, just to follow up and add some meat on those bones. It was an Associated Press uh, poll. Forty eight percent of American adults are in favor of providing weapons to Ukraine, which is down from 60% in May. And we are only going in one direction, as you've been pointing out. Yes, we said no for now to F-16 fighter jets, but we did the tanks. We're doing billions of dollars. We send the president over there. 
Things are yeah, only you- escalating. We're demanding complete victory. Only only our version of victory will be accepted. So the American support is going down and our president's behavior and its support is going up. I, I don't understand it. Can you imagine? We all knew that Russia was involved in Vietnam. We knew the Chinese and everybody, all the communists were involved in Vietnam. We knew that. But Brezhnev never went to Vietnam and stood among them and said to the very end, Mm -hmm. if they would have done that, I think America would have fought that war differently because Russia was our sworn enemy at the time. We're Russia's sworn enemy right now. And our guy is going over to their battlefield and saying, we're with you to the end. And the end means regime change. Why would Russians think anything other than it's our war? Yeah, why? that's right. We've had mission creep here in the United States. It didn't start off with a total and utter defeat of Russia and regime change. That was a Biden insertion in this whole process. And now it's gotten to the point where I saw your tweet the other day, you know, call your senator, call your congressman, tell him they're not sending your child to go fight this war. I feel 100 percent the same. My children aren't going to go fight this war. When did I agree? When did my congressman vote in favor of this war? Because that's where we're inching. You know, we are not even discussing it anymore. You remember the days when Congress actually did its job and debated. We're not even having a debate on it. It's just happening. Um, and, and you know, I, I have to tell you, and, and this may be something that y- y- you don't want to talk about or, or you disagree with me on. I don't know the answer to this, but I am very concerned about the Nord Stream pipeline. Oh, yeah. No, no. That Cy Hirsch reporting was absolutely stunning. Right. And nobody seems interested in that. And if that is true, if it's true, I'm not saying it is, but someone should look into it. I know senators that cannot get a secure briefing on any of that. That should tell you something. So if we blew that up, that is an act of war. Now, Russia just said that they are preparing to call the United Nations Security Council on that subject. There are only five countries that could even possibly do it. There's really only one that doesn't have to answer to anybody else and has reason to do it, and that's us. That's an act of war. And if Russia would declare war on us for international terrorism, uh, I got news for you. I would much rather grab a bunch of citizens surround the White House and say the president and anyone else involved in this needs to face justice, not mob justice, but they need to face justice. And I, I, I do that much faster than go fight a war that we weren't talking about. We would have never uh, approved blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline if these people did that. I hate to say it, but it's true. It's it, they're traitors. They're traitors to the United States of America. We would never have approved that. And if they okay. went around Congress on approval, what do you do, Megan? You got to know it. And if it's true, you have to deal with it because if they'll do that, the people really have lost all control of their nation. Yeah. No. I mean, that really is starting a war without the blessing yeah. of the American people, never mind 
just a Biden Congress. operation. I mean, nobody, yeah, Congress, nobody would have been involved other than, according to that Seymour Hearst article, like the, the darkest forces who, who would be given the ability to deny it under oath, given the agencies Mike. they used. Let me just read this, Glenn. Um, okay. White House National Security Council spokesperson Adrian Watson described the Hearst report as, quote, complete fiction. A CIA intelligence, uh, CIA agency spokesperson echoed the White House denial, calling the report completely and utterly false. And this is supposed to be enough for us to say, oh, well, oh it's not okay. true. They say, they say it's not true, Glenn. So move uh, on. I know when you have multiple senators and and Mike Lee has talked to me about this a lot. And Mike is, you know, Mike, he's very reasoned. He's not flying off the handle. He doesn't you know, when he says, gosh, he apologizes for it. <laughs> um, and uh, Mike has called me several times and said this on the air as well. Glenn, the fact that I cannot rule this out is enough for me to be very concerned about it. He said, when he first started talking about it, he said, I just don't believe we did that. He said, but we have to check it out. He's been trying to get a uh, classified security briefing on this subject. He and others in the Senate and the House cannot get one. That, that's not I mean, supposed to happen. Who, who, I mean, going to the CIA and demanding it? Like, how, how can yeah. they be rejected? Exactly. Exactly. And that's what he's saying. How, what is happening? Why is no one care about this? Why? I can't get a briefing. I can't get the national security to to come in and give a senator who has oversight a briefing on this operation. Why? And just That's to update the audience, Glenn. So, so this is they, most people probably saw this last week, but uh, Seymour Hirsch released this report saying long term investigative journalist right on some things, not always. Um, yeah. saying that we blew up the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. We did it. The United States, not Russia, as uh, was initially claimed by our government. And we had threatened to do it. Joe Biden's on camera threatening to do it prior to mm -hmm. it being done. And ever since then, we've just said it wasn't us, it wasn't us. And you were pointing out on your show recently, where, why isn't Germany objecting more loudly, right? Like, if it were the Russians, wouldn't we be hearing more from Germany, which was so dependent on Nord Stream? Like so, about so the fact that it was blown up or it, it, like the fact that they're not saying much suggests maybe they know it was us and they understood why we did it. So let's let's go through the countries that have the capability of doing something like that. It's extraordinarily technical. It, it would be I mean, it's just only five countries could do it. China, maybe, but they don't they don't have any reason to blow up the Nord Stream pipeline. Russia. Why would they do it? Maybe to make us look guilty, then why didn't they make that case immediately? Then you have uh, France. France can do it. France doesn't do stuff like that. Why would <laughs> France do it? Um, and imagine the turn on the, on the, by the French people and the Germans and everybody else. Then you have England. England could do it, but not without our permission. So we would have to know if England did it. The only one with the motive and the motivation and the expertise to do it and the arrogance to think they could pull it off is us. They're also, we're the only ones that would keep everybody in line. Germany, shut up. Everybody sit down, shut up. 
this is, I mean, just just through reason, and you know, usually the easiest answer is the right answer. Yeah. This needs to be investigated, and the American people have to demand an answer because well, listen, can I, we can cannot I say this let them be this far out of control. To zoom out without diminishing that possibility or report at all, but to zoom out, it's not going very well right now over in Ukraine. And you have to be very no. skeptical of the news reports, which have come out over and over telling us that they're winning, that Ukraine's going to win. You know, you have to work very, this is kind of like a COVID situation in some ways, where you have to work very hard mm. to know what's real because the press is rooting for this complete victory. They would love to see Why? regime change in Russia. I always laugh, you know, they, they think that like, Jed Bartlett's going to take over as the, as the new president of Russia if, right. if Vladimir Putin right. is deposed. OK. Um, and the so guys if, who would, the guy, if they depose him, the guys most likely to take over are the ones saying to him, why are you backing off of Ukraine? Go in oh, yeah. with everything you got. Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't know who we think this, these mystical figures are. But my point is, right. it isn't going well. It was going better in the fall. It's going poorly now for Ukraine against Russia. And. Ukraine could very well lose this war still. 100% could lose this war and and in the not too distant future, despite all of our support. And so why wouldn't we be in there now trying, would have been better in the fall when you're in a better position, to force a negotiated settlement? We're not going to get everything we want. No one ever does. And even when one does, you know, I know you're a historian, even when you get everything you want and you go back and you humiliate somebody like Germany, there can be long lasting effects of something like that that are not good for the for the for us for the global uh stability situation i just it seems like so we have only one goal right now and it's not a realistic one yes and that leads me to something and i know you i think you have to break so if you want to break and then can we come back and pick it up right there look at you this is is what's so nice about interviewing another host yeah, I will take it. Thank you. Back. He's going to do the traffic flow, which I really appreciate. He stays with us after this quick break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When you are at your best, you can do great things, but sometimes life gets you bogged down and you may feel overwhelmed or like you're not showing up the way that you want to or you're just not feeling yourself. Working with a therapist can help. It can help you get closer to the best or even just a better version of you. You don't have to be the absolute best. You could just be better. Think about that. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. I love my therapist. I've been with him for years. God bless that man. (laughs) BetterHelp is convenient. It's flexible, affordable, and it's entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you choose the wrong person or just not good chemistry with the first person, you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash Megan today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash M-E-G-Y-N. So Glenn, we'll pick up this discussion, but just to let you know, and to let the audience know, uh, President Biden is speaking right now over in Poland. Uh, and he just finished actually a minute ago. We've got a little bit about that and two sound bites in particular that play into the discussion you and I are having just, just perfectly. One, okay. uh, he's focused on Russia and its energy, right? Back to the subject of who messed with Nord Stream? Who right. cares about Russians, Russia's energy income 
Who told us Russia would be totally devastated by the sanctions that we in Europe imposed, but Russia hasn't been? Here's just a little bit of Biden on Russia and energy. He thought he could weaponize energy to crack your resolve, Europe's resolve. Instead, we're working together to end Europe's dependence on Russian fossil fuels. Hmm. How exactly? Who who weaponized (laughs) energy? I mean, I think we were the ones that weaponized energy first. And how did we, how how exactly are we working to end Europe's dependence on Russia? We know some of the ways you and I questioning here. Do we know all of the ways and what investigation yeah. will there be? To turning the page from that, though, um, he goes on. This is a soundbite the White House is going to want out there uh, talking about talking tough, talking tough about autocrats. Here it is. <laughs> autocrats only understand one word. No, no, no. No, you will not take my country. No, you will not take my freedom. No, you will not take my future. And I'll repeat tonight what I said last year in the same place. A dictator bent on rebuilding an empire will never be able to ease the people's love of liberty. Brutality will never grind down the will of the free. And Ukraine, Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia. Never. Hmm. Oh, boy. Where do you even begin on that? Um, that is going to be the new slogan of my uh, program, though. I think I'm going to say that it's top of every hour, beginning of every program. Uh, autocrats only know one word. No, no, you will not take my freedom. No, you will not uh, take my country. Uh, what was the third one? All of those. I kept thinking, well, that's you. That's you. You're you're taking away our rights w- with covid. You told us what we could do, what we couldn't do. You are you are dismantling our country. You're dismantling our freedom. You're dismantling our energy. Uh, and and who gave you permission to do all of this? No, no, Mr. President. Hmm. But the, uh, may yeah. I give you a may I give you a um, two scenarios because people think that we are people who are the war hawks. Um, think that we are fighting uh, World War II, and I don't think so. But let me give you the scenario for World War II. World War II, you had two main players. Uh, You had um, Hitler, and Hitler was going to march into Poland. And while he said for a year, I have no designs on Poland at all. This is from my my history uh, library and vault. This is a, I'm showing on camera a, a, a book, this is a top secret book to the Russian commanders, or sorry, to the, the, the Nazi commanders. It has all the maps of Poland, where the troops will be stationed, where the tanks need to go. This is their entire battle plan. This was printed a year before they entered into the battle in Poland. So you had a psychopath liar on one hand. Then on the other hand, you don't want to have Neville Chamberlain. Neville Chamberlain's the guy who went over and met with Hitler and said, oh, no, he promised peace in our time. Well, no, we didn't get it. This is this I'm holding now is an original letter uh, from uh, Neville Chamberlain to the Hitler youth. He goes over and he meets the Hitler youth and he says, I've met with your wonderful Fuhrer. He's fantastic. And you are the future of Germany. So World War Two. People that just wanted peace so badly they'd overlook anything, and a psychopath. Okay, 
people think that he's a psychopath and he'll use uh, Ukraine to pummel the West. Maybe, maybe not. But we don't have a Churchill that is terrifying to a Hitler who will actually stand up to him. We have paper tigers all over. Now, instead of World War II, let's look at World War I. World War I, most people don't know, the political elite in the Fabian Socialist Society, they are they're very much the progressives of today and the New World Order utopians. It was George Bernard Shaw, the political elite. It was Orwell. And they looked at Europe and said, we have to reset Europe. We can take out, we're, you know, we're scientific, we're modern-minded now. We got to get rid of some of these old empires. And so they were looking for some reason to go to war. And when they had the excuse, they were all in. And they were excited about it because they thought they could reset everything and right all of the wrongs, and it would be super, and it would be a quick war. Well, as we know, millions died. It was a horrendous, horrible war. And in the end, our Fabian socialist, our progressive president, Wilson, saw this as the opportunity to go to a League of Nations, to have a, a, a group of nations that would all be working together on all subjects. Okay, what happened? That president was the one that went over and helped negotiate the peace, and he punished the Germans. Punitive punishments that were beyond anything of reason. Um, even at Setting at some point, I think II. it was the yeah. French that said, "We gotta, we gotta stop." Um, and that, because of that, which is exactly what uh, Zelensky said yesterday. Not only do we will we not accept complete capitulation and a complete return, but we also will punitively. Uh, go after Russia. They have to pay for all of it. That's exactly the setup for World War II from World War I. Mm -hmm. I think we are headed into a situation not like World War II, but more like one. We are on the wrong side. And the Germans aren't the good side, you know. But, you know, in this case, the Russians aren't the good side. But we have ulterior motives that nobody's really talking about. Well, and in the meantime, China and Russia get closer. China now reportedly threatening to offer lethal assistance to Russia in this battle that they haven't yet done. And um, we are act with China of trying to seem tough <laughs> has completely fallen apart. The uh, the update in the balloon story, Glenn, you know, we saw the there was definitely the one balloon that was China's that came across the continental United States. Well, sure. All of the United we States did nothing. in Alaska. Yeah. Made it, right? We uh -huh. did nothing. Um, then we shot down a bunch of like, God knows what. I don't know what they were. And neither sure. does the Biden administration. And Blinken canceled our meeting after the big with the <sighs> Chinese, his meeting after no. the, the first big balloon. And now he's just had it. They, they had the they had the meeting. We made him wait a whole 10 days, Glenn. So there, take that. Ha -ha. Man. Mess with America. Yeah. Uh, State Department spokesperson says Blinken, here it is, quote, directly spoke to the unacceptable violation of U.S. sovereignty mm. and international law and said incidents like this, quote, must never occur again. Oh. And you never or, again, you yeah. naughty little Chinese 
Never. Right. Never. right. So or we're going to send you a sternly worded letter like Buddha judge did to that train company. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> that's right. So that's our that's how we're handling the Chinese. Meanwhile, the latest reports are these could have been cheap amateur radio balloons. We have no idea. We've been using four hundred thousand dollar missiles to blast out children's art projects from the sound of yeah. it. Twelve, <laughs> so, twelve dollar balloons. Twelve dollar. That's balloons. us. That's I us. feel good. So now we're finally focused on the children's air projects and we're focused on talking <laughs> to China. Um, and we got Joe Biden over there in Ukraine saying never, nothing, nothing, no, not an inch. Uh, even right. if it gets us into World War Three. And we have totally ignored, as you've been pointing out a couple of times, what's happening now in East Palestine, Ohio. I mean, totally ignored. Um, the reports are all over the place, but the White House apparently turned down their FEMA request. Uh, implying that disaster relief wasn't it, it wasn't the disaster wasn't big enough first. But at the same time, they said it was too big. New York Post had a good piece on this the other day. Um, you need more than what FEMA can provide. Then uh, after Biden told Ohio Governor Mike DeWine that the feds would give whatever they need. They reversed it again. The White House suggesting, no, actually, no, it's not a job for us. Uh, and no one's gone. Pete Buttigieg says he'll go when the time is right. Glenn, he will go when the time is right. Why don't you go right now? And start and take a shower using the yep. well water of an yep. East Palestine resident. Do it now. Drink yep. out of their faucets on camera. He says, oh, people only go when they want to do a photo op or when they're actually needed. What's actually needed is for you to go there and do that stuff. Go there and do that stuff right now. Do what you're asking these people to do and prove to us that you believe it's safe. Joe Biden, Ukraine, fine. At East Palestine, you can pound sand. Not going there. You know, it's so amazing, um, you know, when George Bush put on the fire helmet uh, after 9-11, some people criticized him. Oh, it's a photo opportunity. He's flying over the hurricane damage. They did this with Obama, too. Oh, it's just a photo op. Yeah, well, it's a photo op. Um, and sometimes that can cause more problems having somebody there. But Pete Buttigieg is not going to. I mean, what does he have? Does anybody have like one Secret Service guy? <laughs> he can go there and not cause a big problem. And it's not a photo op um, in the traditional sense. It's a very important photo op to put your money where your mouth is or your life in your lungs where your mouth is and show up, be there for several days, breathe the air, drink the water. That's a photo op. And that's a good photo op, not a political photo op. Yeah, you it. getting off if the plane. So safe, yeah, you do it. You getting off the, the way, plane and having a meeting. East Palestine, Ohio, February 3rd, train derailed by Norfolk, Suffolk, um, derailed, and they had a controlled explosion of some of the very toxic chemicals on board. I think it was like something like uh, I don't know, dozens and dozens of train cards that were involved in it, over 60. So they blew up a few of them that had toxic chemicals. And now the Feds Jeez. messaging has been everything's safe. It's good. The dead fish, like hundreds of dead fish, people reporting dead animals who are just going out to like, you know, use the lawn as their, you know, toilet dying, uh, the family dogs, it, people like coughing and having difficulty breathing. And yet the messaging from the feds has been, you're fine. And, you know, the, Christina Peshaw, the press secretary for Ron DeSantis, had a great tweet earlier, Glenn, saying you, the media and these officials, they hate you because literally the New York Times has a headline saying gas stoves are bad for you yeah. <laughs> and could cause childhood asthma. And yeah. And mocking some of the concerns being raised out of East Palestine is like insane conspiracy theories. It's like, no, this is one we actually do need to look into. Anyone with two eyes can see there are real dangers to these residents. So, but Megan, can we just stop there for just a second? How many conspiracy theories have to be proven true 
before people are just saying you have absolutely no credibility, media, no credibility, Washington, no credibility. I mean, this is such a dangerous thing uh, to have a a complete collapse of trust. But when they say something, you know, the CDC comes out with a recommendation uh, and, you know, because some new Ebola virus is unless we see it, we're not going to believe it. And we're not going to listen to what they say we have to do because they have no credibility. And it's in that on almost every front because they've just so destroyed their credibility and they won't they won't go and put their money where their mouth is. That's why Pete Buttigieg, it's not a photo opportunity for politics. It's a photo opportunity to restore trust. Yeah. If drink the you water. trust it. Yes. If you trust it, spend a few days. They're going to have to spend their life there. Spend a few days there in town. You know eating, what else? Drinking Take your water. new twins. Take your two twins. Bring your babies and stay for a month. You do it. If, if it's so safe, let's see you do it. Bring your partner. OK, I, if I were a mother there, I would be just as outraged as these mothers. And I know you reported on this, that instead of helping them, what's happening? We're sending in these companies that are getting these people to sign waivers before yeah. they can get help in testing the air and testing. the. These people have no idea what they're signing. They just want to get the air tested and the, and the, the ground tested so that their their pets don't die. Their kids don't die. They don't die. And instead, these sneaky lawyers slip in some sort of a waiver and relief release. Uh, for these folks before they can get the testing. So can I go over that? Because we were the, the, I had uh, a resident on the show who just happened to say last week that we had to sign a waiver. And I said, what are you talking about? Sign a waiver. And she sent us the photo you're showing now of this waiver that basically indemnifies everybody. If you're a corporation governing anybody, you're indemnified. Okay. It releases your rights. It releases your rights to sue them. Correct. So, and that's just to, we'd like to test the air. We'd like to test the water, but you have to sign this first. And 350 people signed it. Thought it was outrageous. J.D. Vance then picks it up the next day and he gets the uh, train company to say, oh yeah, that's, um, uh, that was a mistake. Mistake. Well, really, it was a mistake. They said that they had just cut and paste. And if I give them way too much benefit of the doubt. You can say, all right, maybe that's something they hand out for all train accidents and it was just there and it shouldn't have been passed out there, but I'm giving them way too much credit. Let's just accept that. They are trying to make good for it now, I think because they were exposed. Exposed. Um, And they came out and said, uh, we are not holding anyone, uh, any of the recipients that signed this. It's uh, null and void. We have them on record saying it. They're putting a new one out. They got the signatures. That was absurd. That would never have been upheld in a court of law. It was a disgusting, skeptical play to begin with. I'm glad that they've now been shamed out of doing it to anybody else. But I don't I don't think there's a court in the land that would have upheld those releases against these poor people. But but the fact is, nobody's on the ground running herd for these guys like the the, no. the citizens of East Palestine have been hung out to dry. Glenn, as FEMA's like, so, well, mm. and we got the EPA there. We don't have the transportation secretary secretary there. Like who's 
Who's in charge of protecting? Well, first of all, DeWine. DeWine's in charge and the state should have just taken control. He should not have waited 17 days. You go in, your people need help. You think, do you think Ron DeSantis, I don't understand why governors don't just see what's working and copy it. You know, (laughs) just copy it. Would Ron DeSantis have sat around with his hands in his pockets for 17 days? No, he would have rolled up his sleeves. He would have been there and he would have solve the problem without the federal government. So, And by the way, on first, the subject of FEMA, DeWine has to ask for FEMA to show up. And apparently he didn't even do that until this week. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that whole thing was a was a crock uh, as well. So y- you not only have all of these government agencies in bed with the train, by the way, one uh, one of the companies that has a tremendous ESG score is Uh, this particular train company, which happens to be owned by, yeah, it happens to be owned by, uh, uh, BlackRock and, uh, and all of the big ESG people. So it's in bed with the government through these hedge funds. And, uh, I think it's, is it H tech? It is, a it's the government's, uh, chosen air and soil and water monitoring group. You, we tried to go get, because I said, I'd pay for it. I'll pay for air and water for this woman we had on the air. She's like, I just need to know if it's safe. I said, I'd pay for it. We couldn't find a group that would go in against the government's group from the EPA. Couldn't find them. And if you could find them, there's still about $20,000 per piece of property. What's going on? This, this is scary. And, you know, we had another train derail in Michigan. People are asking questions about all this. Where, where's all this infrastructure shoring up that we were supposed to have paid for? Thank like, you. What, what else is going to happen? You know, this didn't have to happen. And it's obviously going to cost Norfolk Southern um, unbelievable amounts of money. Um, but the cleanup is really important. And you take a, one look at those waters and the, the film inside of them, not to mention the dead fish. And, you know, this is not Please. something you would want near your no. home. You would certainly not want your pets, your children, or anybody you love anywhere near it. Um, this is a tragedy that we're going to have to get our arms around because, I mean, God only knows how, how far reaching the implications are. Glenn Beck, it's always a pleasure, my friend. I feel like we come on good ground. <laughs> Thank you. God bless you. I'll never miss the Glenn Beck show. He's amazing. And uh, he's, my, he's my neighbor here on SiriusXM. So if you don't hear it via podcast, listen to him live on SiriusXM Triumph Channel 111. Up next, a never-before-heard story about just how distraught New York Times reporters and staffers were about Tom Cotton's 2020 op-ed during the George Floyd protests. There were crying struggle sessions and backstabbing like you would not believe. Guess who my next guest is? It's my executive producer, Steve Krakauer. Technically, he's got the week off. He's promoting a new book that he's just written about the disgusting media and, uh, we're, we're his first stop on the media tour. So it's going to be fun. We're going to get into behind the scenes stories about the show, about the media, about all of it. Don't miss that. If you're on a GLP-1, you're probably loving the results. You look good. But how do you feel? How about the stomach issues? Loss of muscle mass? Lacking energy? All of those side effects can take a toll. So now what? The answer is GNC. We have solutions that can help address those side effects and make sure you don't get knocked off your path. Because when it comes to living healthy, we're all about it. And that includes keeping you going on your GLP-1 journey. GNC. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue. 
panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Joining me now, Steve Krakauer. He skipped work today, but for a very good reason. <laughs> He's our executive producer, and he is also a media critic, and he is now sharing his extensive knowledge with you in his brand new book called Uncovered. It's got a nice, like, I like that. I like the the, the cover of it. It looks good. I'm, I'm just kind of taking it in right now for the first time. Steve, uh, it's called Uncovered, How the Media Got Cozy with Power, Abandoned Its Principles, and Lost the People. Got the real Steve Krakauer, welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. Thanks so much, Megan. It's, uh, it's great to be here. I've enjoyed the, the whole beginning of the show, and now I, I get to, to come on. This is great. <laughs> How do you feel the team is doing without you? Uh, well, I think overall, very good. Very good. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying it. I, I'm not on comms here, so it's, it's a totally different experience to, to enjoy the show just as a fan. Um, but yeah, I'm, when I'm you're on it. comms, you can hear all the behind the scenes. Oh shit! Oh no! <laughs> That's the, the chaos behind the the presentation. I'm sure there was some, uh, of that. which Steve is normally at the helm of. So it's great to have you. And I I love 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 this book. I I blurbed it. I believed in it. I saw an early copy of it. And I've always loved you as a media critic. It's one of the things that made me reach out to you uh, when we were getting ready to launch this show. And the job was never offered to anybody other than you. You were the person I wanted. You're the person I got for a good reason because you've always been very sensible. When it comes to covering the news, you had to, you did a stint at CNN, you did a stint at The Blaze. You've you've been somebody who's seen how the media has worked from the inside, from the underbelly, for many many years. And your conclusion is, you love it, but it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, it, it, and I think actually you and I share a lot. I, I think we we agree on most things, we disagree on some, but I think with the media in particular, especially over the last few years, I would say you know, 2016, 2017, but you and I started talking about it 2018, 2019, 2020, as we were talking about launching the show, I think we really see it the same. And that is that I think in a perfect world, there would be strong institutional press and and there will also be great independent upstarts. But right now, as we've seen in poll after poll, including last week with Gallup, it's it's at all time lows in terms of trust in the media by the general public and with good reason. I mean, the media really has not earned the trust of the public and it continues to do so to this day. I, I thought on one hand, oh, maybe Trump's out of office. Things start to go in, the, in a better direction. It's actually, I think, gotten worse uh, in some significant ways since 2021. And uh, you and I on the outside uh, in, in independent press are, are really, I think, carving a new lane. And that's part of the reason why the media is losing so much trust is because they have these additional outlets now to find real coverage and to not be treated the way that they are by the corporate press today. Yes. Well, the Trump hangover remains, even though Trump himself is no longer in office. But then came COVID, which right. I think did, if not, you know, if at least as much, if not more, to destroy the relationship of trust between the media and the general public. And we know we know it was dishonest as opposed to just sincerely misguided coverage because they never went back and corrected any of their mistakes on COVID. They're still telling us that we should wear masks. Exactly. I, I think I, I talk about COVID a lot in Uncovered. And part of the reason is, is as you say, in the early days of the pandemic, you know, March, April, May 2020, I get it. 
you know, it was a totally new thing. People are going to be scared. They're not going to know how to cover this. They're going to rely on certain sources. I talked to Josh Rogan about the way science writers were corrupted. And then, you know, the, the press just trusted the science writers. They must know what they're talking about. No, they're corrupted too. So I get it maybe early on. But then, as you mentioned, a total lack of introspection, no accountability, going back, correcting the record. And, and, and in fact, as you say, 2023, we're still getting stories that are completely, you know, the, the term that the media loves to use, misinformation related to COVID. And this is not something that I, I write a lot in the book about stories that are kind of funny and a little bit fun, but this is really serious. And and the media had a real responsibility here. You would think that they would drop some of the, the bad habits they have when it comes to COVID, but instead, all of those habits were, were there and gotten worse, as you mentioned, a hangover from the Trump era. And it's really damaging. I mean, I, I think that really harmed people to this day who now think something about COVID that is not true. You have there's a great soundbite of your interview because you taped your interviews uh, with these uh, anchors and people. You only took on the record interviews, which is great. It's one of your complaints valid about a lot of the media coverage because that's how they get away with it. A lot, a lot of these smear jobs are just absolutely insane where they just get all these unnamed sources to right. just go on the record and say whatever thing bad they want about Trump, about whomever. So you get Josh Rogan. He reports for The Washington Post. He's such an honest broker, and he's been leading the way on the COVID reporting from the start in honest reporting, not afraid to cover anything. Uh, and it's great because he works for The Washington Post. So that interview is on, on tape, and I thought it was actually really interesting because he talks about how we're going to play a bit. Um, he, he was censored even as a Washington post reporter. And what he realized through the experience was that people are dumb. They're just, they're kind of, it's not necessarily this mass conspiracy. You also argue this in your book uncovered, but, but people are dumb. The people in charge of the levers of access to their print pages or to their networks don't tend to be very smart. Like Josh Rogan is here's, here's a listen to Saudi team. The reason that the media got this so wrong is complicated, but it involves two sort of, again, institutional biases. One was amongst the science writers. And, the, you know, when the pandemic hits, of course, you know, we rely on those science writers. There's a whole yeah. field of journalism dedicated to science writing. They must know the most, most about it. This is their moment to shine. It's the once-in-a-lifetime pandemic. And these are the people that are smartest on this issue. And these, what a lot of people in political journalism and national security journalism didn't realize was that, oh, the science writers were uh, totally, totally... Uh, misled by their main sources, who are the leaders of these scientific institutions like the NIH and NIAID and all of USA and all these institutions that, you know, if you're covering them as an independent journalist that you're supposed to be overseeing in a sense, you're supposed to be looking at with a skeptical eye, but these science writers were all captured because these were their best sources. And in the world world of science writing, is that, that's actually fairly common. Of course, it's common in the world of national security writing and political writing too, but for some reason, a lot of people thought all these science writers were above all that. Turns out they're not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and as you mentioned, the Josh talking about the censorship that's, that he saw, he reveals for the first time in my book, we had him on when he wrote his book about uh, uh, China and the influence that it had on so many different areas of, of, uh, of our country and, and the world. And in particular, he spent a lot of time on COVID. An excerpt from that was was published in Politico, and it was censored by Facebook. I mean, it was essentially taken down, and he would he would email Facebook, "Hey, what's going on? This is this is a legitimate story." And then they'd put it back up, and then they take it down, and they'd put it back up. And he realized in that interaction that I 
am a re respectable journalist. I, I have access to the people who run Facebook. I can ask them, why is my thing getting taken down? And it can get put back up after, even if it has to take a few times. What about the average American who doesn't have that sort of access? What about the average American who's maybe saying similar things to what I'm writing, but getting censored or getting completely kicked off a platform and having no recourse for it? And as you mentioned, yes, the people in charge, they're not journalists, and they're not even particularly good at their job of censoring. And these are the people that are in charge and have real power these days in these social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and, and elsewhere, to, to shape the narrative. And that's exactly what they did with COVID. Yes, exactly. And we, we experienced some of this ourselves when yeah. we had on RFK Jr., Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And our, we had one goal because he'd been deplatformed by virtually all the social media companies. He couldn't get an interview on virtually any platform. He, he lamented on our show how he couldn't get on Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan's put on people like Dr. Malone. But RFK Jr. was, he said, a bridge too far. And we had to game plan this out for quite a bit to make sure like our one goal was to get him on the air and to not have him be deplatformed anywhere. And right. we did it. Right. It, it was it was something that we talked so much about was a doing the interview with Robert F. Kennedy Jr., which I, I think is is a point number one. But also, how does this live? And and we are just like Josh Rogan, lucky, I guess, to have access to people at YouTube, um, great people at YouTube who help us navigate these waters that don't really necessarily make a lot of sense. But at the same time, we're not going to sacrifice the editorial in order to have something live on YouTube. But if there are ways of going about it so that more audience can find it, then that's that's how we want to do. It. That's how we want to make sure that we can we can find as much audience as possible. So it's, it's it's a couple steps, right? The idea of even having someone like RFK on to to talk about to talk freely. I mean, we had him on for four hours. It was a two part interview. I, I believe it was our only two part interview that we've ever published, yeah. and it was so important because no one. We should be a platform for for anyone for for any sort of conversations. Now, it, it shouldn't be unchecked. I think that's a big difference between us and some of the other bigger, bigger podcast platforms that do have on people like an RFK. It, it just it's sort of out there freely. It gets censored, maybe, and and the audience is 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 the worst for it. But by putting it out there, by by fact checking when appropriate, by letting him say his views, but also showing other views, the audience is really served, and and it's. It's really rare in today's media to 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 go that in depth to have well, someone you know like why. him on. Yeah, you know why? Well, first of all, it's ideological for many, but second of all, it required a shit ton of work, <laughs> right? And journalists tend to be lazy. Not all, but many, most I would even say, are lazy. That RFK interview took all of us forever. Debbie Murphy, Canadian Debbie, worked so hard on all those fact checks, calling all these doctors, calling every like we're not doctors. How are we going to? And we're not. You know, I'm a lawyer, but I'm not an environmental lawyer. How are we going to fact check RFK, who knows so much? And a lot of the viewers would listen to the fact checks, and they said, you know, he disagreed with all your fact checks, and that's great. That's totally fine by me. There, in no way are we like you must believe us. We just want the audience to know. Here's a counterpoint to that. You know, you guys can, are smart enough to make up your own minds. Exactly. And he would would counter that. Look, he shared it as a positive experience for him as well. And that means a lot too. You know, you know, if, if he shared it and he, and he hated it, but we felt confident in it, that'd be fine also. But the fact is he's someone who's open-minded, wants a free flowing exchange of ideas. And you're right. So much of the media is, there's real laziness there. Like any occupation there, if you had a plumber, you'd have some plumbers who are really good at their job. Maybe they'd get good Yelp reviews. You'd have some plumbers who are bad at their job, some that are kind of lazy, they'd get bad Yelp reviews. And we could kind of weed out who the best ones 
ones are. In journalism, it doesn't work like that at all. In fact, it's almost the opposite. A lot of times, the laziest and most incompetent journalists are the ones that get rewarded the most. And that's really unfortunate. But well, we, we already talked about Don Lemon. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if we have more to say about Don Lemon. I know he's, he's I know you gave him a lot of homework, so I, I'm not sure he's going to be very busy at his, uh, sure at his retreat. sure he's off in his little recovery camp doing his homework right now. Uh, well, let's put a pin in him for one second, okay. because um, the, the, two things. Uh, the RFK Jr. episodes that we're referring to are two episodes 282 and 283 came ba- back on, but those ones that we were talking about, number 282 and 283, well worth your time if you've ever taken a, like, a long drive or what have you. You'll learn a lot and you'll you'll love the guy. My God, what a classy, lovely man. Definitely. Um, okay, but secondly, so COVID, Trump, certain things that drive the media crazy that you're not allowed to touch. You know, you, you cannot have a heterodox view on COVID. Otherwise, you're a misinformation purveyor. And of course, these third rail issues are in that category too, like Black Lives Matter, like George Floyd and the protests that happened. And this leads me to some great, interesting, exclusive reporting you have in Uncovered, the book, about the meltdown, the absolute... We knew knew that there was a meltdown at the New York Times when they published that Tom Cotton senator, Tom Cotton op-ed on using the National Guard to control the national protests that were going on, that were getting people killed, um, uh, largely in black and brown communities. That's what he wanted. Uh, But there was a meltdown within the New York Times newsroom. You've gotten some new details that show us just how next level it was. Yeah, this was really an incredible story, and and I think as you mentioned, everyone is on the record in this interview uh, is in in the book. Sean McCreish, who was a New York Times opinion staffer, now works at New York Magazine, was very candid about what happened internally at the New York Times. This is in chapter ten of the book, and yes, we saw this sort of play out publicly. In fact, on Twitter, it was a bunch of New York Times staffers said publishing this op-ed by Tom Cotton puts the lives of Black New York Times staffers in danger, which really was sort of a way of of putting a real pressure campaign on their own bosses to take some real action here and action they got. But this was playing out internally as well. And Sean describes these these internal, first of all, the Slack channels were on fire. Of course, everyone was just just at each other. This was playing out on these Zoom meetings. This was, this was in the height of the pandemic, June of 2020. Everyone's at home, got a lot of time on their hands, a lot of time spending on Twitter and just getting all riled up staffers crying on these meetings saying that their friends won't talk to them this is what Sean told me about what happened and and then we saw the fallout and and this was really i think why i spend so much time on this story in the book is it's a really pivotal moment i think in the media for a couple of reasons first of all the the fact that lower level staffers at the new york times could say this you know could could do this campaign publicly and force out the head of the opinion section uh, james bennett and and cause other changes. In fact, one of the changes I write about is that it used to be called op-eds. Now it's called guest essays. This was directly as a fallout of this, right? The, the, we, we need to have more distance between these people who we allow in our pages. So the fact that the, the kids run the newsroom these days, that's, that's mm-hmm. really telling, even at the New York Times. But also, this is we're talking about a column, pretty benign column by a senator, a guy, by the way, Tom Cotton, who this is his third New York Times op-ed. He had already written two op-eds. This was just his third one, but apparently the most controversial. The fact that that puts lives in danger and not just activists saying that, but journalists saying that, that shows us exactly where we are in the media. That is a real low moment for the press and, and something that I think has real ramifications for the future. 
We talked about this last week when I was in the show was in Vegas. Um, I had a speech that I was giving out there. So we moved the show out there for a couple of days. It is a good sign that the New York Times didn't go the same route on this trans pushback because they offered, you know, I would say it's like almost fair coverage. It was certainly not anti giving kids hormones and anti doing surgeries on young kids like you'd hear on this program or on some of the more right wing programs. But it was kind of exploring some of the downsides of that in recent months and the meltdown from the far left activist crowd and the the trans representatives who honestly, as you've heard me say many times, have the worst representatives uh, was epic. But the time stood its ground this time. That, that's it, it is really notable also yeah i i agree i mean they, they did some reporting that's basically what they did they weren't they weren't <laughs> right. drawing conclusions they did a little bit of reporting on this issue they've certainly done reporting on the other side of the issue where where this is this is a great thing so so yes and they stood their ground i think that does show that the pendulum's shifting the other direction look as, as bad as the press has been in the past and i obviously written a lot in the book about it i end with i think some optimism and some potential solutions and i do think the fact that the new york times stood its ground and actually sort of cast its own staff for saying, you, you're not allowed to sign this letter. This is activism that you're doing. That's a, a total polar opposite change from the way that they acted during 2020 and the Tom Cotton at bed. Now, it is a slightly different issue. So perhaps that, that weighed into the, this a little bit. I think that if you look at polling, the Times is much more on the side of the public here than, you know, and I would say the, the Democratic Party than, you know, than the average Democratic voter than maybe during some of the, the racial coverage. But I do think it's encouraging. And I, and I hope that is a sign of, of things to come. Because again, this is not asking that much. It's just saying, stand by your own fair reporting, just some reporting, and don't give in to these, these loudest activists on Twitter. I mean, it's fascinating to think about a news organization getting credit for pushing back on its journalists becoming open activists. That used to be the standard. You used to not be able to do that at all. And that leads me to CNN and Jeff Zucker's destruction of it. I mean, he destroyed that organization. And I have nothing against Jeff Zucker personally. Honestly, like I have no personal beef with this guy, but I watched what he did from the outside. He took a once great news organization, or at least good, and completely ruined it because he had a personal beef with Trump because he wanted to see Trump brought down. And he turned, he turned somebody like an Anderson Cooper or a Wolf Blitzer, completely previously anodyne news anchors into activists that people started to loathe. Who could loathe Wolf Blitzer? Well, if you listen to him night after night, he could bore you to tears, but he couldn't drive you to have actual tears because of his outrageous opinions. But he got there, not to mention Lemon and Cuomo and Brianna Keeler and uh, you know, half the other daytime awesome. crew that's now been demoted. I know. Well, Don Lemon would be in that category, I would say, with Anderson yeah. Cooper and, and Wolf Blitzer of as late as maybe early 2016 was a pretty normal news anchor. I mean, he had some yes. sort of flourishes to himself, I think. But at least he was generally kind of curious. He was generally sort of uh, uh not, I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd say introspective, but he at least kind of didn't take himself too seriously. That completely shifted during the Trump era, and and was encouraged to shift during the Trump era uh, because of Jeff Zucker's d- direction. Now, I worked at CNN. I worked at CNN with Jeff Zucker very closely. I, I write about it in Chapter Six of Uncovered. I think that there was this idea that Jeff had that I I sort of disagreed with, but that there was one big story. And in 2013, when I worked there, uh, that big story might have been the Boston bombing, and, and we spent a lot of time 
time covering that. It was a, it just just put all of our resources towards that. That's the only thing we're covering today. I mean, not the only, but that's basically how we thought about it. And then there would be stories like the poop cruise or maybe the missing plane that maybe yeah. people att- attacked a little bit more, but that we're going to put all of our resources to it. We need one story. People only kind of tune in and out. We need to put everything by it, behind it. And during those things, there is some journalistic credibility to it. And then Trump ran for office. And in the primary, the one big story was this phenomenon. He got attacked from the other side for showing the empty podium, for airing Trump uh, rallies without any interruption and not doing it for any other candidate. And by the way, before you go on, why did he do that? Why did CNN do that? Money. I mean, it's ratings. Ratings. Totally. Right. It was good for business. And Jeff Zucker was at Trump's wedding in 2005. And he was a very, I mean, you could you could thank Donald Trump for Jeff Zucker's rise at NBC. In fact, that's been written. I, I write about it in the, in the book that Jeff and Trump were so connected because of Celebrity Apprentice. And it was this huge hit for Jeff Zucker when he was in NBC. So there's a personal connection there in addition to the business side of it. And then he becomes the nominee and things start to shift. And then he wins, shocking everyone. I, I mean, even when he was the nominee, I think there was a sense of, well, he's definitely going to lose to Hillary. Everyone in the newsroom thought that. And then he shocks the entire newsroom and wins. And then it's war. And Trump's welcomed that war. I mean, he, you know, the enemy of the people and fake news. And he made CNN this punching bag. And CNN was was happy to oblige. And this is really where I think things went off the rails. Because I, I think that there were some people at CNN who believed they were in this existential fight for democracy and they that this was a this was this giant moment and some people probably didn't believe that they they thought okay this is this is good for business but the people that believed that instead of what they decided to do okay this is we're in this existential fight so we need to sort of drop our principles and standards or lower them because this is this is too big. We we have to just go and and, and attack Trump because this the, the stakes are too large. When mm-hmm. I would say, if you really believe that, I don't think that we were certainly in an existential crisis. But if you really believe that that was the threat, then that's when you double down on your standards. That's when you say we're going to even even hold ourselves to even higher standards because the audience. If we want to make sure the audience understands this threat, we need to make sure they trust us. So they went the opposite direction. It was a complete failure. And now the new administration over at CNN is trying to dig themselves out of this giant hole that they found themselves in. Yeah, you're exactly right. I'll give you one example. Back during the Obamacare years, um, Barack Obama, if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. I was on the air every day during that whole thing. And we knew it wasn't true. And never once did I call it a lie. I, I I, I bent over backwards to not attribute motive to his misstatements, <clears throat> excuse me, until it came out that he knew it was untrue and he was saying it and he intentionally misled. That that came out as a news report years after Obamacare had been passed. And then I started calling it a lie. But that's what it took to use the L word. Right. Right. Back where, contrast that with what CNN did, did to Trump. You undermine your you don't need to say he's a sexist pig. He's a racist jerk. He's a liar. Whoever you're talking about could be Trump, could be Obama, could be anybody. Um, you just need to give them the facts to let them decide. It, it has the total opposite effect. You're totally right. The, by you covering it, Obamacare, that way, it gives more credibility and more trust in the, the public, especially, I would say, independents and maybe people on the left who are watching Fox News, and there are a lot of them at the time. That gives them more credibility. For CNN, if they, again, really believe that this is what Donald Trump is, that he's this liar, that he's this racist, then show me. Don't tell me. And if you mm-hmm. did... I think they actually might have had more of an effect. And it's, again, this is not just CNN. This is this was happening everywhere. The Washington Post, I mean, just as soon as they put 
Democracy Dies in Darkness on the on the oh. front of the cover, it was over for them. I mean, it was just a total so failure. And and this happened across the, the spectrum with the press. And it had the opposite effect of what they were intending, and they never learned their lesson. And they still don't learn their lesson. I mean, obviously, Trump's running again. We'll see how that pans out. But they have learned seemingly very, very little from the mistakes that they made and the credibility that they lost over these last five to seven years. Mm-hmm. The there in the news today is um, something about this guy, Wajahat Ali, who's a commentator on MSNBC. And you were the person who first called attention to his segment on CNN with Don Lemon. That's now and Rick uh, Wilson. Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. Great guy. Uh, the Lincoln Project. Sneering at Trump voters. And I'll tell you, you know, but I'll tell the audience what Wajahat Ali is saying today about Nikki Haley in a second. But he's up to his old tricks, suffice it to say. Yeah. Uh, so he went on CNN with Don Lemon and this clip, perhaps more than any other that you watched and you tweeted out totally viral, encapsulates the failure of CNN, the destruction of CNN, the self-destruction of CNN that caused so many people such just disgust as they watched it. Uh, hold on a second. Do we have it? What's what soundbite is it? Oh, I see All right. It here there. it is. Sat four. Here it is. Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. And so that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience, uh, you know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump. Um, that, that wants to think that 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 Donald Trump's a smart one, and they're oh, y'all y'all, y'all elitists are dumb. <laughs> you you elitists with your geography and your maps and your spelling, even though my path and your reading, yeah, you're reading, you know, your geography, knowing other countries, sipping your latte, <laughs> all those lines on the map. <laughs> <laughs> Only them elitists know where Ukraine is. Oh my God! He's there's all such jerks. Don Lemon's crying. He's laughing so hard. It was an amazing clip. I, I, I was reliving it. So that was at 10:50 at night uh, on a Saturday night during the impeachment hearings that were going on. Don't ask me why I was watching CNN. I was say, you were literally the only person. That's why you found it. <laughs> I know. I was watching it, and I, I was shocked by it. And I, 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 at the time, I remember saying, "Someone else is going to cover this. I'm just going to just." move on. And then the next night, 24 hours later, nothing had happened. And it was sticking with me. I mean, I could not get it out of my head because it wasn't an attack on Donald Trump. It was an attack on half the country. And it was so gross, not just, you know, the laughing and the accents. And and it just, it, it bothered me so much. So I put it out by the next morning, Donald Trump had shared it himself and and it just it just went completely viral don lemon had to uh, sort of apologize for it the next night saying oh i actually didn't really know what they were saying i just started laughing yeah it was just you know total bullshit so i it 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 stuck with me forever and when i I tweeted out i said you know if donald trump is to win this year this is why and and obviously he almost did win and and it's just it, it encapsulates the media it encapsulates the moment encapsulates cnn and yeah and wajahat ali obviously too this is, I'm looking this up. This is why, okay, I'll stand by. Um, I couldn't believe it when CNN last week, after Don Lemon comes out and says women are past their prime when they're maybe four, like maybe 40, definitely 20s and 30s, your prime. Maybe you could reach 40 and still be prime, but not, not, definitely not after. And Chris Licht, who's now the new president of CNN, this is according to, uh, you know, the, the reports on it, I got this from Mediaite, says at a town hall meeting, 
Licht reportedly said that if saying stupid things becomes a trend for Lemon, then there will be recourse. And I tweeted out, if, if, has I realize he only took over about a year ago, but there's a history here. Hello, hello, McFly. Yeah, Don Lemon has, I, I'm always reminded of this amazing profile of Don Lemon. You've got to go back and see it. It's in GQ, I think it's 2015, 2016, right before Trump. And it, it starts with this amazing anecdote where he's having lunch with the reporter. And for dessert, he says, I'll have some sorbet. And uh, and the reporter says, oh, you mean like sorbet? And he goes, no, no, it's called sorbet. And then he, and he calls the waiter over. It's called sorbet, right? And he's like, sir, it's sorbet. And he's oh, like, oh, God. well, you learned something new. It's like, look, I, and, and that's the nice Don Lemon. That's when he was curious and, and sort of fun. Uh, no, he, he spent he spent years saying stupid things and, and more importantly, offensive things, I think, to to so many people, including, I would imagine, CNN viewers, that it's it is amazing. Although he has been, of course, relegated to the morning show at this point. In theory, I guess he's back tomorrow. We'll see how that goes. I, I, it does not seem like he seems like the old regime more than perhaps anyone right now who's left at CNN. And Do I you can't think he's going to survive this. I, I would be surprised if th there's a long term plan where Don Lemon is the the star of the morning show uh, for for CNN or the star of any element of 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 CNN. I it just he seems so representative of what they're trying to get out of now. And I don't have reporting on this, but it certainly feels like Don is it. The, what would be the purpose of it? What what it, what? The ratings are horrible for the morning show. He's only making news in the most negative ways possible. He's bringing down two, I would say, pretty good journalists and Caitlin Collins and Poppy Harlow. You know, mileage may vary on that. Uh, but it, w what is the point of it? I, I, I can't imagine it's a long term fit. I, I've been critical of, of some of how uh, like Poppy and Caitlin have handled this, but I like them and yeah. I do think they have potential and I think they're solid in terms of their they're earnest, and I think given the chance, they they will develop into strong morning hosts or at least anchors. Um, however, here's how I see this latest decision by Chris Licht. Here's a question I have for him. Do women matter? Do we matter? Because it shouldn't have to be that you were raped by a man or 21 women come forward alleging that they've been sexually harassed by a man or they'd been inappropriately touched by a man for their offense to matter. Because we have seen person after person get fired because they caused offense, mere offense, when it comes to race, when it comes to sexual orientation, when it comes to gender identity. Do women's offense, does women's offense matter? Does it matter? Because this guy managed to piss off half the country and it's not left or right, it's male or female. And by the way, a lot of the men are with us. You don't have to be a Me Too supporter to be irritated and offended by what Don Lemon said. This one's not breaking down along partisan lines. You know, you got Janice Dean with a great op-ed online. You got Maureen Callahan. She's always great. You got Anna Quinlan, the famed author, and she's a lefty, out there tweeting about what a moron he is. You got the White House, Corrine Jean-Pierre, taking a shot at him. This is not a left and right. This is about decency. Do women matter? Does our offense matter? to CNN, or does someone have to grab a boob for us to count Chris Licht? That's my question to you. Because Don Lemon's re-education camp is a farce. It's a lie, and we know it. We know it. No one's fooled by your stupid fig leaf, Mr. Licht. So do something real. 
prove to us that you actually see this guy's got a repeated problem with women. He's a sexist. How are you going to let him cover Nikki Haley? How is he going to cover anybody? How is he going to co- cover Kamala Harris? He doesn't respect women. He doesn't respect the two women he sits at the anchor desk with. And for them to continue tolerating him makes them part of the problem. There's the rant of the day. There you go, Steve. Cut that clip. <laughs> Let's get that out. <laughs> but you see my point? Like, I I'm do. just yeah. sick of it. Like, why, why does somebody have to, like, stick his hand down my shirt in order for my offense to matter as a woman? Why? Right. I, I think Don on some level thought he was criticizing Nikki Haley, criticizing a Republican. And so that that's that's all that he was really thinking through it. And maybe in the old era, that might have been a way of going about it. I mean, certainly he's I'm sure he said very offensive things about Trump in the context of of you know race or, or other aspects of it. I don't think it really registered to him exactly what he was doing. And then when it was made clear to him, even in a very casual way with Poppy Harlow, he still didn't get it. He doubled down in the most embarrassing way possible. And 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 seems to since then, I guess he's given some sort of apology on the, you know, on, on Twitter a little bit and on the morning meeting. Uh, nothing really has happened. I mean, he's had a few days off so nothing. far. I, he went to Miami and frolicked in the ocean. Yeah, I, I, it does, it does not feel sustainable. I, I, I will say, and, and I'll be very curious to see. He, in theory, he's back on the air tomorrow morning. Uh, it's going to be super awkward. It's, not- it's, it's. We did, by the way, call CNN and asked about whether there, there's been any history of problems with Don Lemon and women at CNN, and they ignored us. They blew us off. Okay, fine. You don't want to hand out per- people's personnel files. I get it. You're not going to be able to avoid it forever. Like, if he's got some history, we're going to find out about it, and then you're going to look stupid. Then you're going to look really bad. And by the way, Chris Licht, I know you're new. You should look into it right now. Before you give him another pass, why don't you satisfy yourself that there isn't a history about which you must be aware as the head of this newsroom that you owe to his female colleagues and the other women at CNN and in the audience for that member, for that matter. Um, I just the whole thing is outrageous to me. He called and he didn't apologize. He tweeted out it was an inartful comment and irrelevant comment. He did not apologize until he reportedly was made to call into the CNN newsroom. And his apology went over like a lead balloon, according to The New York Post, which then he comes out and says, well, but I got to be me. I'm still going to be me. Well, you sucks. What does irrelevant mean? (laughs) You needs work. (laughs) Irrelevant. It's relevant to a lot of people, actually. Not irrelevant. I don't think you used the right word there. No. uh, Once again. Uh, but the Google told him it was the right word, Steve. Embarrassing. <laughs> okay, so moving on from Don Lemon. Um, I, I'm dying to talk to you about what's happening at Fox with this Dominion lawsuit. Yeah. And also Project Veritas, James O'Keefe booted at a Project Veritas. Honestly, it's like it's like the Megyn Kelly show without Megyn Kelly. How, how is you, that, That's no longer a thing. We're shutting it down. So we'll pause right there. You guys, the book is called Uncovered. Support Steve, support... Uh, his honest look at this disgusting industry and his solutions for it called Uncovered by Steve Krakauer. He stays with us on the opposite side of this break. Don't go away. Ask Sherwin-Williams and get 30% off Duration and Superdeck products May 17th through the 20th. That means 30% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, get 30% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details.
So Steve, I got so excited about the Don Lemon thing, I forgot to play the Wajahat Ali oh, right. soundbite. Ripping once again on this time a woman, this time, yes, a Republican, of course, just like your last clip. Um, and this time calling Nikki Haley a, a, a white supremacist. OK, here he was on MSNBC last night. She's the alpha Karen with brown skin. And for white supremacists and racists, she's the perfect Manchurian candidate. And her father came here because he was a professor. He taught at a historically black college in South Carolina. That's how she became the proud American that she is. And yet, what does she do like all these model minorities, which by the way, is a strategy of white supremacy to use Asians in particular as a cudgel against black folks. Instead of pulling us up from the bootstraps and pulling others from the bootstrap, we're taught to take your boot and put it on the neck of poor brown immigrants, refugees, and black folks. She uses her brown skin as a weapon against poor black folks and poor brown folks, and she uses her brown skin to launder white supremacist talking points. And the reason why I feel sad, because no matter what she does, Mehdi, it'll never be enough. They'll never love her. Oh, my God. It's been a while since we've heard something that racist, even out of Wajahat Ali's mouth. Right. We get sexist from Don Lemon. We get racist from Wajahat Ali. And then we get Mehdi Hassan, who, as someone who has a book out around now, I, I keep an eye out on what other people have books out soon. Mehdi Hassan, who's sitting there nodding the entire time and has his own, you know, it was his show on MSNBC, has his own, uh, let's just say, history of making comments about Republicans in very derogatory ways. And I believe later in that in that uh, clip also had his own thoughts on Nikki Haley to slam her in seemingly racial ways. He has a book out next week called Win Every Argument, The Art of Debating, Persuading and Public Speaking. And I wonder if Mehdi Hassan and his audience think that this is winning an argument. This is losing an argument. This is so embarrassing. It's so harmful, not just for, you know, Dickie Haley fans, no one's being persuaded in this way, but even for people in the, the center and center left that watch this and are just dis disgusted by it. People that are not in New York and DC newsrooms in the rest of the country, no matter what political persuasion they are, are grossed out by this. Mm -hmm. This is why I disagree with the end chapter of the book that media can be saved by some, well, you have sort of a four point plan, but um, I don't, I just feel like once you show them you know, this guy, Wajahat Ali, the earlier comments in CNN, we played these on MSN, that you hate them. They're not coming back to you. There's no recovering from that. No, not with Wajahat Ali as a pundit, for sure. Uh, and not with the other people that I think have just been, their credibility has just been so destroyed uh, during the Trump era and the post-Trump era. That said, I think that there, the public is generally a forgiving public, and and I do wonder if there was happened to be some introspection. I, I think it's going to need help from other people. I, I mentioned things like ombudsmen, ombuds people uh, who could be within news organizations and call out this crap at an MSNBC, an MSNBC employee. In theory, I mean, okay, this is a little pie in the sky. I understand, but you know, mm -hmm. at CNN, could they get someone internal there whose job it is is to be the public editor to call out what they see on the air uh, at their own at their own channel? and to to at least raise questions and ask questions about it uh i think that that could that could do a world of difference but well, certainly not with that pundit it could sir it could help i don't know i don't think it could solve but it could help um just because we teased it at the top of the show and i said that trump has now responded to nikki haley he says it's a good idea he likes the mental competency test he says we should do a physical one too and i have to say good for him because you know he's kind of like She's talking about Biden, right? <laughs> He's like, fine by me. I'll take it and pass it. 
it's uh it the, the the next big thing that's going to heat up right is the is the GOP race and uh, I think that the first debate I guess is is already going to be uh, scheduled sometime in July or so. Uh, it, it's it, I, I'm very curious to see who comes in. Um, but but right now it's uh, Trump and Nikki Haley. We're sort of in the early days. I'd, I'd love to see it get a little bit more so interesting. So rude to John Bolton, Steve. Oh, I'm so, God. that's right. That's right, John so Bolton. Na- nasty. Yes, yes. But <laughs> nasty man. It was, it was across okay. the pond. <laughs> All right, let's move on to uh, Fox News in the news this week and the absolute meltdown on the left about this lawsuit filed against Fox by Dominion. It's a defamation lawsuit based on Fox's coverage during the post-election period where lunatic Sidney Powell, who once was a respected appellate lawyer, said she was going to release the Kraken and that she had proved Dominion voting machines were changing votes from Biden from Trump to Biden and that she was going to be able to prove this. And she got a fair amount of airtime on Fox. Maria Bartiromo, Lou Dobbs, um, Janine Pirro in particular, but I think at least one or two appearances on Hannity as well. And the media, it was very interesting to me because I will tell you as a defamation case, even the lawyers who I respect are saying it's a good one because mm-hmm. They think that Dominion can prove actual malice because they've got Fox hosts, Tucker, Sean, Fox executives, Suzanne Scott and others talking about how this is a lunatic claim, how Sidney Powell is crazy and that this sounds absolutely nuts, bonkers what she's saying. But then they've got people like Maria platforming her, Sidney Powell, and allowing her to say the things. So they think this is going to prove actual malice that Fox had knowledge it was true, untrue and, and allowed it to be said on their air anyway. I've got my doubts as a lawyer, I have to say. I don't think, you know, Tucker saying she's a lunatic and he did not platform her, he called her out, is imputed knowledge to Maria Bartiromo. I mean, people have different views and different standards. You know, does it look good for Fox? No, it doesn't look good for Fox. And that's sort of where you come in because you're somebody who observes the media. Um, I will say this one other point though, Steve, they're, they're all over Fox for being worried about the bottom line. We're losing viewers. You know, the audience already mad at us for the early Arizona call. Well, let's go back to the question I asked you about why Jeff Zucker used to run video of Trump's empty lectern. It as if Fox is the only one who cares about maintaining an audience. You know, for sure, that was a goal that's reflected in these texts. But to pretend that they're the only one is a farce. What do you make of it? Right. No. Yeah. For sure. It's it's a business. No. I, I look. I read the filing last night, and and I, I agree with you. I think that that it's it's very it's an interesting media story for sure. I I know I defer to you on the on the legal side of it uh, as a defamation case, but uh, it does. I'd be very curious to see if there's a settlement at some point as well. Um, I I would have loved to see some of the texts from Maria Bartiromo, from Lou Dobbs, from Jeannie Impiro, because they get referenced from the on-air perspective so much, and we don't see their texts. And I think that's sort of telling also, potentially, um, mm, that they're, they're, they're not the ones who are in there doing it. At the same time, I uh, Canadian Debbie told me I found a, like a 400-page filing. I believe it was the original filing. And it, like 200 pages of it are Lou Dobbs tweets and Facebook posts and Instagram posts. I mean, he is the star of their lawsuit. And he's also yeah. the only one who's no longer at Fox that's Who's involved. fired the day that Dominion filed this lawsuit. Right. And so he he was the star on one hand, and but but is not the star of these these new text messages, the juicy filings that we're seeing here. And so I I, I think that it, it's a 
it is a good peel back the curtain moment here. And, and I do think that in a lot of ways for me, it shows Fox worried in, and you could say whether they're worried uh, to the detriment of their viewers or they're worried uh, to, you know, in a, I guess in a positive way of not wanting to offend their viewers who are being spun this story by Donald Trump and are mm-hmm. believing it. I mean, I, 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 and they're not necessarily buying into it. And there might be some sort of bias of omission by not saying on the air, we're not feeling that this is right. But I think that one of the things that I, it reminds me of is what happened in our show when this was going on. And we talked about getting Sidney Powell on. We wanted to have her on. We, this, I don't think it's platforming to put Sidney Powell on for well, a she tough had her interview. Hands full. Yeah. And that's the point. And that's also why she didn't come on. I, I think that 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 was a very telling moment. She, she also notably would not go on Tucker Carlson's show and he talked about that. She would never come on our show. That was, that was a real eye-opener for us. But we weren't going to automatically go one side or the other on what she was saying. We're going to dig into it like like you do and like you have the, our, our producers do on, on all of these points here. Every, we had Dinesh D'Souza on. That was another element of this. I, I think it's important to have these conversations, but to do so in the most transparent way possible. And I think the text messages maybe give a window into a, sort of a non-transparency, but I do think the idea of, of you know, talking to Sidney Powell to, at least in the early days, you know, the, the very, very early days, to hearing it out and then dismissing it if it's complete, you know, BS. Mm-hmm. Well, and it also like, your personal opinion about a news story doesn't necessarily belong in the news story. Right. Now, you know, if you have Tucker saying this is absolute madness, this is a lie and it's bullshit, and then putting her on and being like, tell me more, tell me more <laughs> without any skeptical questions, that's not good. No. That didn't happen. He, he didn't do that. Um, now, they do say that Hannity platformed her uh, and, and they conveniently do not offer the full interview. They just pull excerpts. I'd like to go back and I haven't done this yet and look at the full interview. Did he push back? Did yeah. he ask for more proof? And and to be fair to Dominion, just asking for more proof isn't enough either. I mean, there should be a grilling of somebody making claims like that. Yeah, I think in the Fox filing, they do note some of the you know caveats that Sean and, and others who had her on the air gave. Uh, I, I'd be very curious to go back and, and watch those. It was in real intricate detail as well. But it, but it also, you know, Megan reminded me of something, you know, there was... A, it's something that really, I think, distinguishes you and the show uh, in a lot of ways from so much out there. Uh, we had an interview that that you mentioned in the in the podcast exclusive episode we did last year that never ran. Uh, an interview we recorded a whole hour and never ran. And there was a reason for that. And it's something I think about all the time. And it was that this guest, at, when the interview was over, wanted a certain part taken out. And it this guest didn't want this taken out because they misspoke or they didn't phrase things the right way. This guest wanted something taken out that that was their true opinion. And then on second thought, they decided, I don't really want my true opinion out there. That's something that I'm not sure I want that in the public. And so ultimately we didn't run that, but that, that happens a lot. And it also, this person is someone who portrays this person's self as someone who is on the field, is is out there in the public, willing to say anything. And then Fearless. when shit hits the fan, in I guess in this person's mind, they buckle. And this is, I, the entire conversation that we've had today is something that you and I would have if you and I were just sitting here talking off air. It's, it is, and and with every story, you are putting your true opinion out there and and the facts and leading it where, where it goes. And that is just so rare. I know our audience is great and they do know that and they appreciate it, 
But even the people that portray themselves as real, you know, truth tellers, a lot of times that's bullshit. And and here it's not. And I, I think it really is such a service for the audience that it's that they're getting the truth when you come here. Well, well, thank you for saying that. It it's liberating to be on the other side of all that nonsense. Some people wondered whether it was a politician and we were running cover for it. No, it wasn't a politician. It was a pundit. And it was a pundit who spent the better part of the hour telling us, you know, how fearless they were and how they would just say anything because they stood by their beliefs, except for this one thing. And then we said to this person, uh, we're not going to pull it. So if you don't want the interview to air, we'll do you that courtesy. But we're not pulling that and then letting you mislead our audience. And they said, OK, then pull it. That's how fearless this person was. Maybe eventually we'll tell you who it was. Depends. Um, before I go quickly. Project Veritas without James O'Keefe. He got pushed out by the board, allegedly because he didn't treat some employees very nicely. Steve, I don't know. There's no to me. There's no Project Veritas without James O'Keefe. I think his audience will follow him wherever he goes. It's about him. It's not about that brand name. Totally. Uh, th th he's a young guy. He's been doing it for decades at Project Veritas. I think James O'Keefe is more the brand than Project Veritas. And I'd be very curious to know what he does next. Yeah. Yeah. I, he's going to land on his feet. OK, don't forget. The book is called Uncovered. You will not be sorry. Support Steve, please. Enjoy it. How the media got cozy with power, abandoned its principles, and lost the people. We won't see Steve tomorrow because he's still on his media tour, but we'll see all of you tomorrow. And Steve, good luck on it. Thanks, Megan. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. Ask Sherwin-Williams and get 30% off Duration and Superdeck products May 17th through the 20th. That means 30% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, get 30% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. Yeah.